This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and I'm the career director for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. And you know, switchers are the future of work, so are you ready to reinvent? We are so glad you're here because we are back live in studio on Thursdays at 844 844- 942-7866. So if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, give us a call with all of your job search and career questions. And of course, Dana and Dion in the studio making this show sound awesome and oh so much fun. We love being with you every Thursday here on Dr. Don on Careers. So give us a call, 844-942-7866. And of course, we have a great guest to kick off the show. I'm so excited about this one um, because you are going to want to follow this man on social media. Brandon Bastide is the Chief Partnership Officer and Global Head Learn Work Innovation at Kaplan and is President of Kaplan University Partners, leading Kaplan's work serving U.S. colleges and universities, leveraging assets from across the company's many educational offerings. His career spans a wide range in education as an entrepreneur, researcher, speaker, writer, and university trustee. And his mission is to help U.S. higher education adapt, grow, and thrive as we move towards the future of work. He's also a Forbes contributor and has had his work featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, USA Today, and many, many others. And we are so excited that he's taken time to join us today. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thank you, Dr. Don. I'm, I'm excited to be on it and uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Well, there is so much to talk about because I, I follow your work and every time I open up LinkedIn or Forbes, I see something else that I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this, this man is reading my mind about things we need to be talking about and dealing with in the, the education system to align people to be ready for the workplace. But before we even get to that, I know a lot of people are familiar with the, with Kaplan as, as maybe a test prep service, but, but there's so much more that encompasses this company. So I was hoping you could give us a, just a kind of a brief overview and particularly focusing on the area that you specialize in. Yeah, to your point, many people know us from Test Prep, which obviously was our founding some 80 plus years ago in Stanley Kaplan's basement, uh, where he was mainly tutoring immigrants and Jewish students who were trying to get into college. And, um, you know, now today we're a global and highly diversified education organization serving about 1.4 million students in various ways globally. And I think the story that a lot of people don't know as much about Kaplan is that today, 50% of all of our work around the globe is in support of university partners that we serve or employer partners that we serve, where in, in many of these cases, you know, the Kaplan brand is, uh, is white labeled on behalf of those universities, right, where we're supporting programs for them. And Kaplan is, is the silent partner behind the scenes. But you know, we're in this interesting place because we have so many relationships with universities and so many relationships with 
with companies uh, that, that, that the bridging between the two is really where we have some of the most fascinating opportunities. And it's where I've spent a lot of my time writing and thinking and doing strategic advising and research. And, and in short, right, it's, it's, it's moving to a world where I see a merger of learning and work, whether you're in school or college, work integrated learning is going to be a big component of it. If you're in the workplace, right, constant learning um, and, and lifelong learning journeys are going to increasingly be a critical part of it. So, you know, as we think about Kaplan's role, you know, we do everything from supporting, you know, apprenticeship programs and boot camps in data science to uh, supporting universities in developing high quality programs that reach out to high school students to give them a bit of a, an experiential marketing flavor of the institution in a different kind of way than just traditional admissions marketing. Uh, and, you know, it expands to things like international student recruitment, where we're recruiting students all over the globe into U.S., U.K., Australian universities. So I have a ton of fun because of that breadth, uh, although it's a mouthful to kind of describe what Kaplan does. You know, in simple terms, uh, you know, we we're in a place where we're helping people in some form along this career journey. Right. So for students trying to get into the best college they can. Uh, you know, then while they're in college, trying to be ready for work, uh, while they're in the workplace, making sure they remain relevant and excellent in their job. The theme is really a work prep theme, a work relevance or work readiness theme. And that's that's fundamentally what most of Kaplan's work is about today. And we are so glad that you are at the helm because you clearly have a passion for this, Brandon, through your writing, through through your speaking, coming on shows like this. And, and there's a lot of exciting things to look forward to. Hey, if you're just tuning in and you, maybe you're thinking, hmm, what, what type of educational opportunities should I pursue? Because I see a lot of things changing in the market and there's so many things out there. I'm not really sure where I should focus. Today is the day you should call us at 844-942-788. This is Dr. Dawn on Career Sirius XM 132. And if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, we are live. And we're so excited to be here with Brandon Basid, who is the Chief Partnership Officer and Global Head of Learn Work Innovation at Kaplan. So so let's dive in because you talk about a lot of statistics that are quite frankly jarring. And um, <laughs> there's so many of them, but I think this is the basis of, of um, the data we need to start to make changes. And so, so first and foremost, there is a disconnect in university preparations and um, you know how it's perceived that universities are prepping people for the workplace and then how the workplace is, is perceiving their preparedness. So can you speak more to that, Brandon? Yeah, absolutely. It, it doesn't matter what constituent you survey, right, whether it's the U.S. general population or C-level business executives or even college and university trustees, which was a survey I was involved with. You know, everybody has uh, essentially a vote of no confidence in the work readiness of college graduates, right, slivers of, of, of support. So 13 percent of the U.S. general population and 11% of C-level business executives strongly agree that college graduates are well prepared for success in the workplace. So that's not very strong. Um, we obviously have a lot of work to do there. Some of it's perception and a lot of it, quite frankly, is uh, reality in terms of things we need to improve. And then when you take a step back and say, okay, well, what, does that really matter, Brandon, right? Um, the answer is definitely because the number one reason why Americans value higher education, there's many reasons, but the number one reason by a mile, there isn't a close second place, is to get a good or better job. So if that's the number one reason why we value it, and then on this report card of 
how various constituents think we're doing on it, and they're saying, yeah, not so well, that's a huge issue, especially in the backdrop of rising costs of college, right? Because this is all part of the return on investment uh, calculation that, that prospective parents and students are making in more rigorous ways than they ever have before. So now you step back and say, okay, there's, there's a bit of a problem definition. What do we do about it? The answers are actually right in front of us. It's a question of whether we prioritize them and whether we scale them. So I'll give you a simple example. What are employers looking for when they say college grads aren't ready for work? Well, uh, one of the most important things, this is going to sound real simple, is some sort of work experience, right? An internship, a co-op, some sort of work experience in addition to what they've done academically. And to put a fine point on it, the vast majority of employers would rather hire a B average student with grades who's had an internship than an A average student who doesn't have one. So it's not saying grades don't matter, but they are sending the signal that work experiences during college are really important. And for graduates who say they had an internship or a job where they were able to apply what they're learning in the classroom, over their lifetime, they end up being twice as engaged in their work, whatever the job is that they end up being in. So there's really powerful outcomes from something like that. And, and it's just a matter of, okay, well, what percent of college graduates have one of those experiences, an internship where they can apply what they're learning? Unfortunately, that answer is a third of college graduates. So two-thirds are leaving, getting a degree, and not having that valuable experience. So this is a matter of what we prioritize, right, and how we scale it. And universities can't move fast enough on examples like that. Well, and that's and that's really interesting because because another stat that I associate with you is you talk about this being the least working generation in U.S. history. You're talking about 18 to 24 year olds. And and why is this? Is this because they're focusing on other things is obviously the pandemic probably has had an impact recently. But but what is going on here? Why aren't people getting these work experiences? Yeah, I think there's a number of things going on. Um, and you, you're right, like sit with the stat for a second, you know, among 18 to 24 year olds right now, today's generation, and this is 60 to 70 years of data where this has been collected, they're the least working generation ever. And that's just measured by how many hours they report working in the prior week, et cetera. So, you know, what, what could be going on there? There's a lot of things. One, I think we've come into an era where the prevailing attitude about how you get ahead in life, right, among parents and society, you read this in the media is, you got to get into the best college possible. You've got to have awesome grades, like a four-point something or other, which never existed when I was there. 4.0 was always the highest, right? And, um, and you know, it's about test scores and grades and the prestige of the college or university you get into. And what we've done in that process is we've de-emphasized the learning value of work, right? So a well-intentioned parent who can afford uh, to not have their child work, for example, over the summer or whatever it might be, they'll say, you know, geez, Brandon, um, you know, your job is to focus on getting good grades because, of course, that's the most important thing. So, you know, I don't want you to work. Like, literally emphasize the academic work over the work. And, and I think that's a big mistake, right? And, and so that's one thing is kind of the prevailing attitudes of what matters for long-term success. Nothing replaces having had real work experiences and reflecting on those and learning from those. So if I'm a parent, and I am a parent, I'm emphasizing those work, uh, you know, type opportunities. Now my kids are almost 12 and just turned 10, so not quite of the working age, but conceptually, right, these are the kinds of things that I'm going to be very supportive of. And, and then the other thing you start to think about, there's broader macroeconomic trends happening increasingly in our economy right now because of gig work and, you know, the uberization of jobs and certain, you know, uh, trends like that. There are 
fewer entry-level jobs available for younger people, right? So the idea of I'm going to work at the ice cream shop over the summer, or I'm going to do a retail job, increasingly you're seeing those jobs taken by older working adults who are cobbling together multiple jobs to make ends meet. So although our unemployment data looked good for a long time, you know, super low unemployment rates, you get under the hood of that data, the quality of jobs in America is not great and hasn't been great for a while. That is, look at the percentage that are true full-time, you know, well-paying jobs versus somebody who's cobbling together two or three jobs to make ends meet and still aren't able to do that. So there's a lot of things happening, but the thing we can focus on right now is the point of emphasis, right? If you're a parent, if you're a student listening to this, understand that there is so much value to the work, uh, learning value to work, whether that's an internship, a co-op, whatever version of that is, even, you know, thinking about long-term projects, so short of a job, taking courses that involve long-term projects to take a semester or more to complete, what I recommend that, those are things that look like real work in the real world of work. So th- there's ways that we can all kind of improve our uh, game on this front right now. we got a long way to go. Hey, 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM Channel 132. This is Business Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here live every Thursday noon Eastern taking your calls all hour long on any job search and career questions you might have. 844-942-7866. If you want more information, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. So I know, Brandon, you call this the triple threat what you were just explaining that that you need to that students should be graduating with an internship with long-term projects that that form a portfolio and um and the third one that we haven't talked about yet is this industry recognized credential so so can you talk about that and and why this triple threat is what students and parents should be thinking about when they're choosing colleges yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the, you know, the triple threat analogy comes from basketball where, you know, coaches encourage you to, you know, when you catch the ball, get in the triple threat where you're either able to dribble or pass or shoot from the same position. And so, you know, it's a playoff of that, you know, in addition to getting a bachelor's degree, which is, you know, the, the kind of path that we recommend today, you know, in terms of the societal norms, is to make sure that you leave with those three things, right? So to your point, the, the internship or co-op, uh, you know, also having, you know, courses, multiple courses where you've done a long-term project where you have some sort of a portfolio perhaps to show or to talk about in terms of an outcome. And then this third one is um, also graduating with an industry-recognized credential. Traditionally, we've kind of thought about like the bachelor's degree or the industry-recognized credential, right? Like we haven't thought about those things as a both and. We've, we've traditionally kind of put them in separate buckets. We treat them as mutually exclusive. And that's a real detriment, right? That kind of mentality, that, that, that attitude is a, is a lost opportunity because in some of the market research we've done, for example, employers are much more likely to hire a graduate who has a bachelor's degree with some sort of specific industry-recognized skill set than just a bachelor's degree alone, right? And in the market research we did, to give you an example, we asked hiring managers, you know, knowing nothing else about these candidates, which would you be most likely to hire? The first option was a bachelor's degree in English. The second was a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity. The third was a bachelor's degree in English with a designation in cybersecurity. And the example used was a certified ethical hacker. Well, the, 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 the English major with a certified ethical hacker was four times more likely to be hired than the English major without a designation 
and three times more likely to be hired than the cybersecurity bachelor's degree holder in and of itself. What, what, there's a lot to unpack there, right? But it says clearly there is a huge enhancement in the mind of employers to the idea of combining a bachelor's degree and an industry-recognized credential. The good news about industry-recognized credentials is there are many of them that you can get in relatively short order. You could take a summer term to pursue it, a winter term or a J term, right? It could be embedded as something uh, as part of a semester-long course. And there's everything from digital marketing and project management and cybersecurity. I mean, it goes in many, many different directions. But the idea here is that you come out broadly educated, right, and specifically skilled. And I think we need to drop the notion that those are mutually exclusive things or that you have to go on separate tracks to get them. Do it together. And look, we already have the concept that we're all familiar with, you know, a double major or a major and a minor. Well, instead of thinking about that, think about a major and an industry-recognized credential. It's going to enhance your job opportunities big time. Love it. If you're a parent or student and you're listening and you've got a question or comment about this, or maybe you are that triple threat student, we'd love to hear from you. 844-942-7866. We're here with Brandon Bastide, Chief Partnership Officer and Global Head Learn, Work, Innovation at Kaplan, talking about the future of education and the future of work. And we'd love to hear from you if it's noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific, 844-942-7866 on Sirius XM 1. 32. So something else, I saw an interview with you on, on market scale. Again, another statistic that kind of blew my mind was that there's over a million unique credentials offered in the U.S. And I think, um, you know, you said something like 0.0001% moved the needle. So I feel like I, I love this idea of getting a credential. But then, you know, as people think, yeah, great, I'm going to do this. But holy cow, how do I even narrow this down? Yeah, so that, that's part of the problem, right, is we've confused the heck out of people because we've just, you know, created this massive smorgasbord of options out there. And, you know, I'm a big fan of lifelong learning, right, people who pursue education for just intellectual fulfillment and for fun and for personal engagement. But w- what we're talking about here is something different. Like the people who are interested in, you know, industry-recognized credentials or skills, they have a very specific goal, on, right? They're they're trying to make more money, get a promotion, get a job where they need particular licensure in order to, you know, even be considered for it. And so it's not, they're not doing it for fun. They're doing it for funds, right? And so it's a very different motivational position for people who have a specific goal. You do not want to confuse them by giving them this massive buffet, right? Like they want to know, what do I need right now? Like, you know, what's the most nutritious thing I should eat on this buffet? I don't want to, you know, deal with anything else. I don't want to pay extra for all the other stuff that I'm not going to eat. So, you know, one of the opportunities I think we need to do for, for folks who are interested in, in the, you know, the industry-recognized skilling category is actually show them fewer options, right, to show, help them see what I call the needles in the haystack of these million credentials that exist in the U.S. You know, the, the data is correct. I mean, a tiny sliver of them have evidence that they move the economic needle for the person who completes them. So, you know, my encouragement is to make sure you identify ones that are uh, validated by uh, an industry association or a particular employer, right, that have, you know, some sort of third-party validator as opposed to this is a certificate in X, Y, and Z, and it, it might be great content. It might be really well done, but if it doesn't have meaning to an employer, that's where we fall short, right? If there's no evidence that people who get this actually end up making more money or getting a raise or a promotion, that's where we fall short. So again, I'm separating the conversation about lifelong learning 
that has a different motivation intent versus those who are really looking to upskill and reskill. And for that category, that's where, at least in the work that I've been leading at Kaplan, we're actually trying to narrow down the options to the ones that are, you know, we know are most efficacious in terms of moving that economic needle and basically keep people very, very focused on that as opposed to, oh, there's this whole universe and getting overwhelmed by all the options that are out there. Yeah. So so don't don't fall for fancy marketing. Do your research. Find out what companies are asking for. 844-942-7866, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Brandon Bastide, who is the chief partnership officer and global head learn work innovation at Kaplan. We're going to go to the phones with Brian in Maine. Brian, welcome to the show today. What's on your mind? Well, thank you for taking my call. I, uh, I love this show. I love this channel. Uh, I, I run a, a nonprofit organization in Maine called Bridge Academy Maine. and We, we bring early college credits um, into our CTE centers to combine both um, you know, rigorous academics and, and uh, credentials of value. Uh, we've recently really started focusing on uh, doing assessments of students as they're coming in using the world of work inventory to sort of identify you know, three-dimensional traits. And I hadn't heard any conversations about that in, in this topic today, about what kind of work might be done um, to to help uh, people find that their pathway um, and head them off towards a, you know, a, a meaningful career um, so, um, what age very, group uh, are you working with, Brian? We use uh, we work with the juniors and seniors in high school that in are high going school. into career tech, and then um, so we uh, um, well, there's 27 regions in Maine, uh, CTE regions, and and we work with about seven or eight of them now. We're a growing organization, but we we do a, an awful lot of work of of trying to create these pathways. Uh, you know, for example, working with our healthcare industry. You know, finding students who um, may think nursing is their their career path, and they get into the CTEs and take, you know, CNA courses, CRMA courses, and then we're working to couple that with summer internships while they're in high school, and then, you know, uh, leading them into nursing school, and then, you know, uh, into into a job in the industry. We try to complete that pathway. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important. Starting starting even earlier. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, and we're just not going to talk about that because it was so long ago. But but um, what are what are your thoughts, Brandon? Well, Brian, I think you point out a really a really important thing that we all need to put more time and investment into, right? And that is that you know when if if for example students are uh, short on having work opportunities where they can kind of see the world of work in real ways, understand what people do in jobs, understand the dynamics that take place. Like right now, young people, and I would say this is true for even people who are mid-career professionals, et cetera, we have very limited views of all the different kinds of jobs and roles that exist out there, right? Like we know maybe what our mom or dad did or what, you know, like within our circles, but our, our understanding of the world of work is extremely limited. And when we've had no exposure to it, it's obviously like at zero, right? So you say, how do you create opportunities? I mean, assessment is one category, Brian, right, where there's interest inventories and all kinds of, you know, skill assessments and certain things like that. On one hand, those things can be helpful, right? Where I see them fall down is that they usually require additional coaching and framing, right? So a student does an assessment, they get, you know, uh, some sort of automated feedback about it, and they sit there and they're like, well, what does that mean? Where I've seen assessments really work is when you can add some coaching and context to it. But, of course, that makes it a little bit more difficult, less scalable, right? What I would love to see is just more invitation uh, between high schools and employers and 
professionals to just have opportunities where students can hear more examples about what does this person do in this kind of job? What does it mean to be in digital marketing, right? What does it mean to be in this industry, right? And so there's a lot of ways we can do that uh, short of actually having them work in these, you know, various, uh, you know, roles and internship format. But, you know, we, we just need to find more ways to provide a little bit more visibility and exposure to the world of work because short of assessments, those are some of the opportunities that are going to help students understand some of the things they like, uh, some of the areas where, you know, they think they might have some special talent and skills and strengths. And, uh, and so there's no easy way to do it. Right. But the point is, we're just we're, we're not, we're, you know, if exposure is at like 2% right now, and it might be if I just, you know, kind of, you know, step back, exposure to the world of work is at 2% for high school students. Can we move that needle to 10%, 20%, 30%? We've got to start somewhere. And I don't think assessments alone are going to be the answer to it. Brian, thank you so much for calling in and for the very, very important work that you're doing. I think careers are going to continue to shift and change, and it is a confusing process at any age. I can verify that. 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You can find more about me on LinkedIn or, of course, Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. And we are super excited today to have a fabulous guest. Brandon Bastide is the Chief Partnership Officer and Global Head of Learn, Work, Innovation at Kaplan and president of Kaplan University Partners. And he is sharing all about the shifts and changes in the market for the future of work. And we're going to go right back to the phones with Mark in Minnesota. Mark, welcome to Dr. Don on Careers. What's on your mind today? Hi, Dr. Don. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm a first-time listener, first-time caller. Welcome. And uh, Brandon, I admire what you do. I think it is very important work. And uh, but mine, I'm just going to kind of caveat or add on to what Brian was sharing with you. Some of our modern-day CTE programs that are in our secondary schools today can definitely help with that effort that you're trying to uh, express here in terms of getting kids involved, getting them exposed to the world of work, all these different opportunities, these different occupations. But I think um, we do need to start at that secondary level. And even before that, when we're talking about the careers, because like you said, um, the just because they're in eighth grade doesn't mean that you can't talk about careers with these students. And so they do know that there's more out there than just what mom and dad do. And expose them early, get them talking about it. And we have to do things um, in that secondary, that high school environment, versus just throwing more math at them and more science and more of this and that. Get them involved in some of the work-based learning programs that could be created or are already in existence and maybe an apprenticeship. Um, I'm in high schools every day, and I work with kids every day, if you want to call it coaching or facilitating. Um, I just left a group of students where I had everything from students wanting to be plumbers to carpenters to uh, chemists. And, you know, when you have that combination, I, I try to reach them all. But one message I send to them, get that part-time job. It's not just academic to help you be best prepared for what's coming next. And what they do learn at that stage, it it goes way beyond their high school years, their college years, it actually gets involved with their their, uh, career on the ground and that, uh, those important skill sets that go with any career, no matter what you pursue. And uh, so that's that's all I had to say. I just wanted to go for our CTE programs, get the kids in high school fired up about the world of work, 
give them as much information as we can. And that's how they gain the confidence as well to make tough career-related decisions. Yeah, thank I mean, you. Mark, Mark, thank you for the work you're doing because you are you are playing a big role in shaping the future for all of us. And um, Brandon, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I know I know uh, you guys work with universities, but any thoughts about Kaplan moving into the high school realm anytime soon? Well, we we certainly work with a lot of high school students uh, from a test prep angle, and uh, increasingly um, doing a lot of work with universities where we're creating um, online courses that have career themed exploration. Uh, for 13 to 17 year olds. So that's, that's exactly something we're doing where, uh, you know, it's a course on medicine and in the process of learning about it, you interview all the different people who have different jobs in a hospital because it's obviously far beyond the ER doc that you see on TV shows or whatever it might be. And Mark, to your point, right, there's so many ways we can do this. Homework assignments where a student's asked to go interview somebody in a different job to learn what they do in that job, right? You know, really simple things like that. And I tell you, here's another innovative idea that I'd love to see more high schools and middle schools do is allow teachers to do work externships, right? So we think about internships for students, teachers who can go out and, you know, work within a company for a month or two and really think carefully about all the kinds of things that are happening in that workplace. Teachers can come back and they can bring examples of that project-based learning and other things into their curriculum that more closely align with the world of work, that open up students' eyes to the world of work. So I think that's an area where we can bring more scale is, you know, a teacher who's had a work externship, he or she comes back and then has the opportunity to teach, you know, dozens and over time hundreds of students. Those are some of the examples of things that we can do more of. But to your point, we just need to make this a bigger priority. We need to look at work as having real learning value, and that's the disconnect that we have right now. Oh, I love that idea, Brandon. I think that that would be an amazing thing. And there's so many great ideas like that that we need to to implement. We need, obviously, to get funding. Um, so, Mark, you bring up a great point, And uh, we are so glad you found us on, on Channel 132. And we hope you do call again. Hey, if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, we are live at 844-942-7866 on Sirius XM 132, taking all of your job search and career questions. And we've been speaking with Brandon Bastide. Chief Partnership Officer and Global Head Learn Work Innovation at Kaplan and have just like there's so much information you put out there, Brandon, and we only got to a very small snippet of it today. So where can people follow you and learn more about the amazing work you're doing? So most of my time is spent on LinkedIn, Brandon Bustied. Uh, I think I'm the only one out there. Uh, so easy to find there. And then, uh, you know, I write regularly for Forbes. So certainly, you know, uh, go to Forbes and uh, type in Brandon Bustied. You'll get to my author page there and be able to follow me there. Or just look for articles. So uh, both of those are good routes. And I'm always happy to engage in dialogue on LinkedIn. That's a terrific uh, forum. So by all means, uh, reach out to me there, connect with me there and uh, join the dialogue. Thank you so much for joining us today on Series XM 132. I love the work that you're doing, Brandon, and I can't wait to see what's next. You too, Don. Thanks so much for having me on the show. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sirius XM 132. And guess what? You caught us just in time for our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? There is a quiz, and I know Dion bought a house not too long ago, so I know that he has a um, a can of WD-40 in his house. So the question is, (laughs) why is WD-40 called WD-40? 
Hmm, you ever thought about that? If you think you know, call us at 844-942-7866. You're listening to Sirius XM Channel 132. This is Dr. Dawn on Careers, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. On Business Radio. Welcome back to Dr. Don on Career Series XM 132. I'm Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book Switchers. How smart professionals change careers and see success. And if you haven't checked out my new YouTube page where I do mini videos of career tips, you want to check that out and subscribe so you don't miss another one. But before we get back into our show, of course, we have to answer the pre-break quiz if you want to play along, 844-942-7866. So Dion just bought a house not too long ago, and I know he has a can of WD-40. So Dion, right. what does WD-40 stand for? Oh, I used to know this answer. Um, I'm going to say like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what you're going to say. Um, wet, dry, something. They did it 39 times and it worked on the 40th. Wet, dry experiment <laughs> that worked on the 40th time. Exactly. Well, yeah, I'll tell you, you're half right. You're half right. But, but guess what? Today we have a guest calling in to help. And we can make this all right. CJ in Pennsylvania. CJ, do you know what WD-40 stands for? Because Dion's half right. He, he is half right, if you can hear me. Um, it's water displacement. Um, and it was the 40th time, I believe, yes. where the 40 comes from. Yes. So, they, so it was successful on the 40th time. Yes. Great, great team effort. I love it. CJ and Dion, you guys did a great job. In 1953, the Rocket Chemical Company was trying to create a formula for the aerospace industry to prevent corrosion by displacing water. Now, yeah. I, I saw that on, on like a movie or something. I I, I remember seeing it because there was it's something about an O-ring or something. I don't know. But I remember that. So okay. are you? I don't remember that but but cj are you an engineer are you do you work in aerospace um i have an engineering degree i just use wd-40 all the time oh cj so, cheated uh, man he's, he's he's got a degree well yeah but he didn't look it up oh, the well, only cheating is google he didn't cheat he knew he knew the answer without without googling and that's that's um so so do you use it cj in your home wd-40 oh my god <laughs> uh, a, a million a million uses um, cj buys them both weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us it, give us it's really great for uh rusty uh bolts but i know that's not what it was intended for but that's uh it's it's a fantastic fantastic product what's an unusual um use for it that you found that you're like you know i bet you don't use it for this but you should um like if you hear squeaks and like a doorway. I don't know if anyone's ever done that, but just to, I have one that's got a, a nozzle so it doesn't spray. You can be very precise with it. And it'll take away any kind of squeaks in a doorway. Unless it's ghosts. 
I find this really interesting <laughs> because C- CJ has like the, the the proper use for it. I've only used it for that, for like squeaky doorways and stuff like that. Like that's that's why I have WD forty. But apparently, you can use it like so when you have your headlights and they get like foggy and whatnot. Oh, yeah. after, apparently, it works on that too. Oh, my dad told me that. I don't know how. I, he's not a great source. But <laughs> Dad, I hope you're not listening. <laughs> but he, he said it, 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 it works to unfog headlights. So I wonder if it works like when you wear a mask and your glasses fog up. I, I wouldn't. You wouldn't. It, okay. it, it, it gets kind of greasy. That could yeah. be bad. Yeah. Maybe, CJ, maybe you could you could do some experiments and let us know. Call us back. I think I need to try it for more things. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Try for more things and call us back because I, I, I hear this is a can of miracle. So. And, and if it works, you could send the check here. <laughs> You mean if it if it doesn't work, well, <laughs> you yeah. might send the check here. <laughs> CJ, thank you so much for calling us. Uh, it was really fun to have you on the show, and uh, great tag team getting that answer. WD forty, all sorts of things we talk about here on Doctor Don on careers, but we're very excited because we're back live in studio eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So if it's Thursday noon Eastern. We are live taking your questions all hour, and I'm super excited to introduce our next guest. Professor Offer Sharon is a nationally recognized expert on long-term unemployment and the author of Flawed System, Flawed Self, Job Searching and Unemployment Experiences, which won multiple awards, and his work has received wide attention from national media, including New York Times, PBS NewsHour, and he's participated in policy discussions at the White House and Department of Labor, and he is also the founder of the Institute for Career Transitions, an organization focused on supporting long-term unemployed. He currently is a professor of sociology at the University of Massachusetts Amherst with his JD from Harvard Law School. Welcome to the show, Offer. So excited to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. Just promise don't ask me what WD-40 stands for. <laughs> well, now you know. Now you know. See, you, you had no idea that you were going to be talking about WD-40. I'm already learning. Already learning. <laughs> See, the education does not stop on this channel, I'm telling you. But but we're talking about a, a tough topic today. The research you do is so important because, um, especially after the, the pandemic, a lot of people are experiencing unemployment, and you specifically focus on long-term unemployment. So can you kind of define what what does that mean operationally? Right. Well, it means someone unemployed over 27 weeks. Um, Unfortunately, we're really in a crisis of it right now. So the headlines in the papers are a little bit misleading. It seems like uh, unemployment is going away. The economy is starting to recover. But those headlines are about overall unemployment. That is good news. It is going down. But the more invisible crisis is people who have been stuck in long-term unemployment, you know, six months or more. And right now we're at 4.2 million people. It's uh, 43% of all the people who are unemployed are currently long-term unemployed. And that's as high a level as we've ever had. Uh, the only comparable time is after the Great Recession. So it's really a crisis. 
And this is, I mean, this is a crisis on many levels. I mean, people are are giving up the job search. People are experiencing um, mental health concerns due to this. And it, I think I read something in the work you published that um, that the second phase is going to be even worse. And I don't, I, <laughs> I, I hesitate to talk about that because I mm. certainly don't like to share bad news. But I, but I think we need to bring this up so that we could start to address it. What does that mean? Well, so there is a, a big difference between being temporarily unemployed, uh, transition, a few months. That's, no one likes that. It's hard. But it's a really different experience when you get into an, an extended period. Um, it's different in terms of the financial crisis that usually comes with it. It's different in terms of how hard it is to re-enter the job market because of all kinds of stigmas uh, that exist about someone who's been unemployed. Um, and so this, you know, is borne out in the research on, on health, both physical and mental health. Uh, we see negative trends for someone uh, who has been longer term unemployed. Um, and the reason I said it's the second phase is going to be harder is First, more people will be in this position. But secondly, I'm worried that uh, this will become invisible and we won't have as much uh, government support for people who get trapped in long-term unemployment. 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM 132 Business Radio. And I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We are live, 844-942-7866, with a special guest, Professor Ofer Sharon, who is talking about his his book and research, Flawed System, Flawed Self, Job Searching and Unemployment Experiences. Hey, if you have been unemployed or you've experienced bias in the hiring space for being unemployed or you have some tips, we want to hear from you, 844-942-7866. So let's let's just overcall it what it is. I mean, people are discriminated against because they have long-term gaps. And you've done research on this. So this is this is not, you know, an assumption that you've got hard facts. Can you share those? Yeah, so there is actually a lot of research, uh, typically in the form of audit studies, where uh, this is not my own research, but other, you know, typically economists send out fake resumes, but to real job openings. um, And they just vary whether the person is unemployed or not, or if there's a gap. And so we can just see when qualifications are the same, experience is the same, everything is the same, except that there's a gap, the likelihood you get invited to an interview drops by more than 50%. So you're less than half as likely to get um, to get invited to an interview. And so that's it's a very disheartening experience. Um, and on top of it, there's other forms of discrimination, like age discrimination. So the group of people most likely to get trapped in long-term unemployment are older workers with each decade of age. Uh, these same kind of studies show that it's uh, harder to get a call back. And so when you add together uh, discrimination against someone because they're unemployed on top of age, uh, it really becomes a very, very difficult uh, job search. Yeah, 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, we're live. We're here with Professor Ofer Sharon, who is an expert in long-term unemployment. He is a professor of sociology at UMass Amherst. And we are going to go to the phones with Luke in Idaho. Luke, welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers. What's on your mind today? 
Hey, I got laid off out of the oil fields actually in November of 19, and I wound up being unemployed for about nine months. And I, as bad as it sucked, it, the timing of COVID kind of helped me because there were some extra benefits with everybody shutting down. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. But I actually had a random guy hit me up on LinkedIn and now I'm selling hydraulics. Just, you know, I kept kept up with maintaining my professional profiles and just wanted to give advice to, you know, somebody in my situation that things work out sometimes. And this wasn't a job that was even on my radar, but I love it. And I've been working it for a couple of months now. So this is a great testament to keep your LinkedIn profile updated, be active, continue to build your network. Um, and I know, I mean, nine months, um, I, 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 what was that like for whoo, Dion? <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. What was that like for you, Luke? Like, I mean, what, what kind of was going through your mind when you were going through the job search process? What, what kind of feedback, if any, were you getting from employers? was also in a unique situation because I'm a civil engineer by degree, but I went straight into the oil field. So I was trying to find engineering jobs, but I was having to fight against all of the new grads as well. And so I was, I told my wife, I just thought I was going to go back to swinging a hammer and doing manual labor, which I've done and I enjoy doing it for fun, but really didn't want to do it for a career. But I wound up kind of starting a handyman business and did that for a while and just kind of limped along and was throwing resumes out to anybody and everybody. Yeah. Luke, thank you so much for calling. We're so glad that this worked out for you, but we really appreciate you sharing your experience because I know a lot of people are experiencing that. And um, over, you know, just based on what Luke said, I, I think um, this is what people do. People kind of cobble together some some maybe jobs part time and things like that, which um, does that help? That what What, you know, can they be doing in that respect? And does that count towards unemployment if you're working now in a job that is is not the job you want to be working in mm. um, so I think the first thing we can take from Luke's story is that he kept up with his social network he continued to uh, uh, to be in touch with people that that is the most uh, typical way people get out of this trap is um, people that, that reach out to them people that they know that they reach out to uh, get a referral uh, it's not easy to do to network. <laughs> I can talk a lot about that, but that is a very um, likely way out. Uh, now, yeah, picking up uh, jobs that could uh, disqualify you from unemployment insurance. It, it um, once you're working, even if it's not in your field, uh, that does count as, as employment in terms of unemployment insurance. I'm not, I'm not an expert on this, but I believe that that means that at that point you're not getting it. Um, and you're also not counted in the numbers, even though you may still be searching for for a job that aligns with the work you did prior to getting laid exactly. off. Exactly. This is why we should not pay attention to these overall unemployment rate numbers. They're very misleading uh, because they don't count people who are working, you know, three hours a week or they're working at a job that really doesn't utilize their skills, you know, someone with a 
uh, with a PhD working at Starbucks. I've interviewed many like that. And uh, nothing wrong with working at Starbucks, but uh, that person is not utilizing all the skills they have and they're not counted in the unemployment. So I want to I want to talk about something that that you focus on and I and it's really easy for us to sit here and say network and keep up your relationships but I'm also a licensed psychologist and I know how incredibly demoralizing a, a regular job search is because you get ghosted and no responses and you have no idea what you're doing wrong but if you're in a an unemployment situation for a long time th- I mean this starts to take a toll on your relationships and networking becomes even harder Harder. And, I, you know, can you share some of your findings on this? Because I think it's really important to recognize that we can't just say go network and be on LinkedIn and, you know, be your be your normal, cheerful self when that is not at all how we're feeling inside. Yes, totally. You're getting to some core issues with that question. Um, so we tend to just hear go network. And, you know, maybe I'm even guilty of that. Uh, but that really ignores the fact that Networking is super hard, especially when you're unemployed, particularly longer-term unemployed. Um, so the people I, I talk to, I interview many people in this situation, they tend to say, well, I'm just I'm introverted. That's why it's hard for me. But they all say it's hard, whether they're introverted or not. So I'm looking at the deeper reasons why it becomes hard. And one of them is when you're not working, the most organic, spontaneous place you typically network is at work with other you know, people you're working with, with clients, with suppliers. That's taken away from you. Um, so you're, you're left with reaching out to people, typically your former colleagues, but there's only so many of them. So at first, that's not hard. You reach out to all the people that, that can vouch for you who might have good leads. But when you get to six months, nine months, one year, you're probably re- uh, repeating and who you need to reach out to, that gets harder and harder. Um, and then you're, you know, typically starting to look for how can I expand my network? How can I meet other people? Um, and during COVID, that is a particularly hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. We don't have conferences. We don't even have parties, right? There's all the social gatherings where you might strike up a conversation, create some kind of you know, social connection, and then the person will be willing to help. That doesn't exist right now. So that makes it doubly difficult. Yeah, I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to put out a I'm going to implore people who are out there who have friends, relatives, colleagues who are unemployed and looking, you know, be proactive, reach out, see if you can help because it is there's 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 a stigma, a shame attached with it. I've been laid off twice, and you know, it's even though it's no fault of your own, there is still this perception that seems to exist, and I think I think we we tend to shy away from talking about it. You know, we want to go to see our friends and we don't want to be talking about things that bring us down so we we kind of gloss over it but we have to be talking about these things i think a job search is a social process and it's super important for us to engage if we're employed ask our ask our friends relatives neighbors hey how can we help what's your goal this year what's what's going on and vice versa because these conversations can be so helpful and door openers to the next level. So uh, Professor Oversharon, thank you so much. The research you're doing is so incredibly important and I'm so excited um, for the Institute of Career Transitions. Where can people find you if they'd like to learn more about you and your work? 
Um, they can Google me. You'll see my, my page at, at UMass, and my email is there. But also, uh, the Institute for Career Transition um, is an, a nonprofit that helps. Uh, it's aimed at, at, at professionals um, who are in this kind of situation, either unemployed or underemployed in some job that is not really utilizing their skills. Uh, so people can find that as well. But I would say more broadly, don't try to do this alone. Like, like Dawn, you were saying, it's a social process. It's extremely difficult to try to um, go through the job search when you're isolated. You tend to then feel like uh, there's something wrong with you. That is such a common experience. Uh, I'm not getting any response. What's wrong with me? But when you're surrounded with other people in the same boat, we're also having this experience, and there are millions of people right now, uh, then it really helps with the emotional um, part of it because you realize you're up against some really tough obstacles. People can get jobs, uh, but it's more of a marathon than a sprint usually. It's yeah. going to take some endurance. Well said. Uh, well said. It is a team sport, and let's do this. We're all in this together. Let's partner. Thank you so much, Professor Ofer Sharon. We appreciate all of the work you're doing. And, of course, thank you to our callers and listeners, Dana and Dion. You guys make this show a blast every week. And we will see you next time on Dr. Dawn on Career Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.